0: Sang of God who builds Jerusalem, builds his church. Let's read of that now in 1 Timothy 2 and 3, page 1177 in your Pew Bibles. 1 Timothy 2 and 3, page 1177. Notice that it begins in chapter 2 as the church is the minister of truth, the knowledge of the truth, and it ends the same way. And that's why I want to read both chapters to see that these are the bookends of all that lies in between, including our text, 1 Timothy 3. So 1 Timothy 2 verse 1, these are not Paul's opinions These are the commands of the Lord Jesus Christ given through Paul. First of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. For kings and all who are in high positions. That we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good. And it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm telling the truth. I'm not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor, yet she will be saved through childbearing, if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. Now our text, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, and let them also be tested first then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless their wives likewise must be dignified not slanderers but sober-minded faithful in all things let deacons each be the husband of one wife managing their children and their own households well for those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and Also, great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. I hope to come to you soon. But I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels... Proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. This is God's Word. May He bless us and build us by it. Brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, do we really trust God? To run his church properly? That's really the question of 1 Timothy 2 and 3, where Timothy might be tempted to say, let's do church this way, or let's do it that way, or I think this will work best. Paul says, uh uh. He says at the end of chapter 3, it's God's household. And I'm going to write to you how you ought to do things in the church. What's the proper way? God's way. And congregation, that takes faith. Doing church God's way. Doing worship God's way. That's how he starts speaking about prayer for all people. Having proper relationships and callings for men and women in the church. God's way. According to the created order, he says. God's way. And then how to do leadership, chapter 3. To do it God's way. And we're always tempted to say, sometimes God's way is not always the smart way. It certainly doesn't agree with our culture. I think we better do it a different way. No, God's smarter than we are. And if the church is to be built up and blessed, we must do it God's way. We must do church. We must do worship. We must do leadership God's way. And that's what we come to in this chapter doing leadership God's way. So you want men to lead, chapter two. Lord, what does that look like? How how do you want that to happen? Well, here's how it works. Chapter three. The offices they are to hold, first of all, the character of leaders, and then their purpose. Why are they there? Their offices, their character, and their purpose. We step back and take a look at the whole chapter. God doesn't want us inventing our own kind of church government according to what works or what we think is right because Jesus established two offices for his church. You see the first one in verses 1 and 2 and the second one in verse 8. Elders, overseers, shepherds. That's what they're called in the Bible. Sometimes overseers, sometimes elders, sometimes shepherds, one office, elders, and deacons. Now, he says later in chapter 5 or 17, there are two kinds of elders, those who preach and teach and those who rule. The minister is the preaching elder, the teaching elder. The others are the ruling elder. So we have two types of elders, but elders and then deacons. That's God's way. The work of the elder is to, as the word says, oversee. To rule and care for the church of God in doctrine and life. It's the task of the elders to make sure that the doctrine of the church is pure. That we're not wandering down some pathway of error, the lie. To direct the congregation, each member, in true faith and holy living. To give account for each soul, the Bible says in Hebrews 13. To admonish and discipline those who are wandering to seek to bring them back. And to protect the church from savage wolves who want to destroy the church. That's the calling of an elder. And then the deacon. To see that the sick and the poor are cared for and make sure that no one's being overlooked when it comes to having their needs met. Gathering gifts from the congregation to give to those who are in need. Really, it involves the work of the deacon seeing to it that God's people are properly connected to one another in the body of Christ in a life of sharing and caring, of giving and receiving. Big tasks, big callings, big offices, elder and we're not to make up new offices like priests and cardinals. Nor are we free to turn ministers or elders into administrators or deacons into money men. Because elders and deacons are to work directly with God's people in preaching and teaching and ruling and caring and comforting and providing. It's people work, not paperwork. There's always paperwork, administrative tasks involved in everything. But it's fundamentally people work, not paperwork. It's shepherding. Now, notice how Paul begins the elder office with a commendation. He he talks it up. Exalts the office. And he ends the deacon office with a commendation. He talks it up. Kind of like bookends within that section. He he begins by exalting the office of the elder. The saying is trustworthy, verse 1. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Aspire? Desire? Is that right? You bet it is. It means to reach for it. To want it, to prepare yourself for it. No, not to put yourself forward improperly and take it upon yourself. It's the church's task, the Holy Spirit through the church, to lay its hand on you and say, You're called. Are you ready? But, boys and men, it's our calling. Do you want it and be ready? Not because we want glory and honor and power, but because we love Jesus. We see how utterly and absolutely important he is as the savior of the world, and we love the church, the family that he's building, and we want to serve it. And so we prepare. I heard a young young man, a teen in the congregation, say the other day, someday I want to be an elder. So I am praying and I'm reading. Wonderful. Wonderful. Someday I want to be a deacon. So I'm praying and I'm reading. And I want to grow more mature in my character. Shave off the junk. (laughs) The flaws, the weaknesses that get in the way of me. Serving and and grow in Christ. And I'm praying for that. And what if you never become a deacon or elder? So what? Are you going to miss out on anything if you're growing? No. You'll be fit for so much. Not only in the body of Christ, but in your family, in your relationships, in your work, in all of life. Because you look like Jesus. That's what it's about. And then notice how he commends the office of deacon at the end, verse 13. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Don't you want to become a deacon and serve well? That sounds kind of like bragging, so you can have a good standing. No, no. A good standing in your faith. Develop confidence in Christ. That's what it's about. The office of deacon is a great calling. Do you want it? And girls, women, for men to be great leaders, they need good supporters, helpers encouragers but also those who push back on the the bad stuff in us right not to worship the ground we walk on but to say hey harry that's not good that's going to get in the way men And boys, these are important tasks. Esteem these offices, desire them, build yourself up for them. Read your Bibles, pray, take part in Bible studies and discussions. Take time off from TikTok and Instagram and avoid internet garbage and read books and magazines, whether on paper or online, that will make you strong in faith and holiness. As Paul is saying, Their offices, their character, secondly. So which men may serve in these offices? The lists for elder and deacon are quite surprising. 16 qualities, characteristics mentioned for the elders, 13 for the deacons. Many of them overlap each other, most of them, in fact. But what's interesting is what's not in these lists. It's very freeing, actually. Nowhere does it say you have to be smart. Whew. Nowhere does it say you have to be eloquent. Maybe you have a hard time putting two words together. Nowhere does it say you have to be rich. Nowhere does it say you have to be talented. Nowhere does it say you have to be educated. Nowhere does it say you have to be a successful businessman. Not that these things are wrong. They just don't really matter. They're not essential to the task. Well, what is essential? Personal faith and godliness is all that's required. It reminds me of Galatians 6. If any one of you gets caught in a sin, you who are spiritual go and restore him. And that's everybody, but there are those But watch out, it says, lest you yourself get caught in the trap. So it's really those who have become self-aware of their own sins. Repent of them daily. Put them to death so that they can see clearly to go and help others. You who are spiritual. Personal faith and godliness. If we are to lead the church of the living God, which is the pillar and buttress of the truth, we have to be men of truth in doctrine and in life. Because we represent the truth of the gospel, the truth as it is in Jesus Christ. And we must look like it. We must act like it. I want to take we use 11 ways that describe the qualities here. There are more qualities listed, but let me put it in 11 groups. First of all, elders and deacons, leaders must be men of good reputation. The office of elder opens and closes with that. An overseer must be above reproach. It says at verse 3, and that at the end, verse 7, well thought of by outsiders. And then verse 10, likewise deacons must prove themselves blameless and be dignified in order to serve. What does it mean, above reproach? Basically, you must have a good reputation in the church and in the neighborhood. You don't have to be popular. You don't even have to be well-liked, but respected for your consistent walk with God and not disqualified by any blemish on your character, not known for your sin, but known for your integrity. Think of it this way. God's not calling only sinless men to serve, because then no one could serve, but men who are free from sins and character flaws that will disable or handicap their ministry in God's household and hurt the church. Secondly, faithful in marriage. Elders and deacons must be the husband of one wife. Verse 2, verse 12. That doesn't require that they be married. Some say, well, if you're single, then you're not qualified. You have to be the husband of one wife. The emphasis in the Greek is on the word one. If you are married, just one, you've got to be a one-woman man. In other words, an elder and a deacon... Must be a one-woman man, no mistresses on the side. Sounds silly to us in the early church, this is a big deal. Not a womanizer, somebody who flirts, behaves inappropriately toward other women. But a man devoted to his own wife, faithful to her, not abusive. Thirdly, they must have self-mastery. Master of themselves. Look at the next three terms, verse two. Sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable. And then verse eight, a deacon. Dignified, not double-tongued. Must not be silly, foolish, jokesters. We must be in control of ourselves. Our spirit, our mouth, our emotions. We must be mastered by God's Holy Spirit. We may stumble, but that's not our pattern of life. How can I rule others if I can't rule myself? Self-mastery. For their ministry. Especially important for the elder that he be hospitable and able to teach. Let me go through those two words, hospitable. Hospitable. Hospitality means being a joyful host of people in your home. Opening doors and welcoming people at your table. Not only when it is convenient, but even when it is not. Now all Christians are called to show hospitality without grumbling. Look at 1 Peter 4 and Romans 12. It's everybody's calling. But elders are to lead the way in treating God's people as your very own family. Bringing in the missionary bringing in the members of the congregation, bringing in the visitor. Hospitality and the elder must be able to teach. It's part of his ministry. doesn't mean you have to be able to teach a formal classroom setting or deliver a lecture, but that you hold fast to the truth of the Bible. You're not prone to follow after weird teachings, errors. And as Titus says, you're able to speak the truth in a given situation and oppose what's wrong and lead people in the right way. Doesn't mean you can't confer with other people for wisdom. Obviously, we must. And that's part of our ability to teach. Number five, elders and deacons are called to temperance. Verse three, not a drunkard. Verse eight, not addicted to much wine. Addicted to much wine, really in the Greek, is not lingering over wine. Not taking. Too much time for it or giving too much attention to alcohol. Our culture, writes one author, romanticizes drinking. Drinking gives me clarity and vision. Yeah. Drinking helps me do things better. Uh Uh-huh. But alcohol does the opposite, you know. It confuses judgment and reduces self-control. I don't say it has no place at all. But thinking too much about spending too much time with it and needing it, depending on it, is a clear sign that we can't serve until we put that to death. Get rid of that obsession or dependence. Temperance. And six, the elders and deacons, temperament. Look at verse three. An elder must not be violent. But gentle, not quarrelsome. The Old King James is not violent, is not a striker, because that's what the word means somebody who hits somebody. Okay, a violent person who hits others with his fists or quarrelsome, meaning he's a bully with his mouth and quickly gets into fights. In other words, a leader must be in control of his temper, and even more, he must be gentle. That's what Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 2. The servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be kind to everyone, patiently enduring wrong, correcting his opponents with gentleness, with mildness. Like Christ, we must be gentle and lowly of heart. It's really important because if someone is oppositional, it's easy for us to get overworked and lose it, right? And that ought not to be our character. Seven is relationship to money. An elder must not be a lover of money. Verse three. Verse eight. A deacon must not be greedy for dishonest gain. He must have a healthy relationship with money and possessions. For he doesn't pursue them as his goal in life. But his heart is full of Christ's kingdom. And he's generous and ready to share the resources God gives him. And that's his attitude toward wealth. Whether he has a lot of it. Or not much of it. That is, the church leader must know that power lies not in money, but in the gospel, and really be confident of that. As the book of Hebrews says keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Eight, his family. The elder, verse four, must manage his own household well with all dignity keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? And the deacon, verse 12, must manage his children and his own household well. The condition, brothers, of your marriage and family life is important. We can't make our children believe But it says, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. It's not you keep your children submissive by force and being overbearing, but you do it with dignity in a way that respects them so that they respect you, writes one author. If our households are chaotic shouting matches and slug fests, how will we be able to take care of God's household? If they on the opposite side, if there are no rules at home and everything goes, how can we... Rural Christ Church. Family. And as part of the requirement of families, particularly for deacons, is their wives. Likewise, their wives, it says. And their wives must be trustworthy. They must be safe people, godly, and supportive. Especially when you consider how much personal care the deacon's task involved in that day, which included then that personal task And the personal care included their wives at their side. They must be confidential women, careful women. But you know, that's the true of the wife of every leader and of every Christian woman. True of every Christian woman. Nine, we're getting close. There's 11, his maturity. An elder, verse six, must not be a recent convert. Or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. And verse 10, a deacon must be tested first. And that doesn't mean a doctrine exam, as some think, but test of life which they must pass. You see, if we get brought into that too early, we may become puffed up with how great we are and we won't handle the office well in humility. Or we could get severely discouraged by disappointment and become cynical about the church. If we... Get into it too early before we're ready. That doesn't have to do so much with age because you might have 20 years of Christian experience by the time you're 30 or 35. The other hand, if you're recently converted, you might have just two years. Maturity. Their faith. Number 10, their faith. An elder is called to hold to and teach the truth so also the deacon hold to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. The deacon too must have a living faith in the finished work of Christ. That's the mystery. Who died to pay for our sin and rose to give us the power of new life, of living for God. It's not like the elders got to be sound in doctrine and the deacons. It doesn't matter. It does. And then One more, number 11, and it's the same as the first one. Paul goes back to it. Reputation. Verse 7, moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into the disgrace, into disgrace and into the snare of the devil. Isn't that what the devil loves, the trap? That I fall and there I wreak a lot of havoc and I do a lot of damage. So my life must adorn the gospel. My life must give Jesus a good name. My my life must give the church a good name. Reputation matters. Well, brothers and sisters in Christ, these are important matters. So much is at stake in who our leaders are, what kind of leaders there are. Let's grow to become men like this more and more. And you know, growing is really all about the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ who died for sin and rose to give you new life. It's all found in his cross and empty tomb. You go to his cross and there you lay your sins and you ask him to put them to death. Crucify them, Lord. I don't want to be that way. I don't want to think that way. I don't want to talk that way. I don't want to feel that way. Heal me. And, and and the empty tomb. New life. The life of Christ. The graces of Jesus. The fruit of the spirit. Make me grow in love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. It's all in him. And what's so remarkable about These characteristics, says D.A. Carson, is that they're so unremarkable. This is very normal stuff. Every Christian needs to be like this. And in Jesus, every Christian will grow like this. We all need the cross. And we all need the empty tomb, the resurrection. And that's what makes a holy man and a holy woman of God. Thirdly, their purpose. The offices of leadership and the character of our leaders are so important because they have everything to do with the church's calling in this world as the pillar and buttress of the truth. What's a buttress? You know what a pillar is? It holds up a structure. So does a buttress. It's the concrete along the side that holds it in. Holds it up. Holds it in. It's basically a building metaphor. The church is the house where God has deposited his truth. It's the place in this world, the only place where truth, the ultimate truth, can be found. So, then the one who leads and governs that should be reputable. What kind of baseball coach you are matters. What kind of 4 H leader you are matters. What kind of Boy Scouts leader you are matters. But what if you're put in charge of the OST? the only society of truth in this world, the church, then leadership really matters. It's the pillar and buttress of the truth. It's the guardian, the proclaimer of God's truth. But... But what truth? And that gets us to the last verse. The truth of the gospel. And he talks about the mystery of godliness. That's the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. What is it? He, Jesus, was manifested in the flesh. That's his incarnation. That's Christmas. What a mystery. Then vindicated by the Spirit and seen by angels... That happened at his resurrection. Where he was declared to be the son of God with power in his resurrection from the dead. Romans 1. He's vindicated as truly the son of God in his resurrection. And seen by angels that day he rose. Proclaimed among the nations and believed on in the world. The great commission. And then his ascension taken up into glory. Now if you're in charge of that society that's been given this treasure... And that takes us back to the beginning of chapter 2. God desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And what is that? There's one God and one mediator between God and man. The man Christ Jesus who gave his life as a ransom for all. Chapter 2 verses 4 and 5, that brings it together. And you say, wow. First, for all God's people, I get to belong to this household Are you amazed at that? You get to belong to the OST, the only society of truth. And you're put in there as a living stone in this building. What an honor. What a treasure. What a gift. And what an incentive that you share that with those who do not know. So, they can become part of the household of God, the church of the living God, too, and join the family of God. And what an honor and what a responsibility to be made a leader in it. Let's do church God's way, let's do leadership. God's way let's trust his word let's follow it carefully and let's above all treasure who we are as church and as church leaders in the Lord Jesus Christ what a treasure has been given to us the gospel the one and only mediator between God and man the man Christ Jesus who took all our sins all that separated us from God so that we could be brought to God and be one with Him. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we stand amazed at First Timothy 3 and even more at the God who wrote this chapter, the God who made us, his family, the God who through Christ has given us that saving truth of Jesus Christ and Him crucified and risen from the dead, manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels. Proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up into glory. Thank you for giving that truth to us. Help us to be good promoters of that truth as the people of God and defenders and proclaimers of it. Whatever station we may have in the family of the Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.